Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone, I'm Ben Johnson and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So I'm here with Kevin Bondi, Blitzstream on YouTube, the most popular YouTuber in France, and he's playing for the Khan team in the Pro Chess League. So Kevin, um, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm very happy to see that uh, you mentioned our, our team, the Can Blockbusters, um, in the in the Pro Chess League, because uh, we guys are very excited about this competition. You know, we have our uh, Facebook group, uh, and we are always chatting with each other during the week, like how it's going, who are we playing uh, next week, and how is uh, how is it going uh, to like prepare the openings and all. So it's really something that makes us busy now, and I'm happy you touched the subject at the real start. Yes, well, our mutual friend Greg Shahadi, of course, is trying to push his pro chess league agenda. So naturally, he thought that you would be a good guest to to have on. And uh, I'm a fan of the league as well. So happy to have you. Yeah, I know. He, he I, I always email him, and at the end of the mails, uh, I mean, when I when we write to each other, we say, you know, you should continue that next year because it's a great event, and we just enjoy uh, being a part of it. So, <laughs> well, I'm as, not surprised at all. Yeah, well, as far as I hear, it's doing really well. So, uh, I think that uh, the chances of it continuing next year are good. Knock on wood. Uh, so, tell us about the match yesterday against Hamburg. Uh, our match yesterday uh, went bad because it's uh, our first loss uh, in the league. We previously won a very tight match, eight and a half to seven and a half. Been very lucky uh, because it was always going to the wire, you know, to the decider. So yesterday the match started bad for a team. Uh, first round we needed, we we had to 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 take the lead, but well, a winning position or. or Maybe we went slightly better, we lost. And it was the story of the match. Every time I had the feeling, because I was following and streaming live, uh, we could come back into it. It was not turning um, our side, you see. And finally, we, we lost 9-7. to seven. But 
we are still uh, contending for a place in the playoff. Okay, and uh, who's on your team for those for the listeners who who aren't familiar? Oh, uh, we have a great team. Um, uh, the, the the leader of our team, which is still not playing but might be back for the play for the playoff, is uh, the Grandmaster Vladislav Tkachev. Uh, maybe you know him. He's known as was known as Mr. Blitz. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the top ten rapid blitz players, I believe, in the end, end of the '90s and early uh, 2000s. He was a great blitz player. Uh, now he's um, 40 and something, but he's still 26, 17 at the FIDE rating, and he was a European champion, French champion, member of the Olympiad chess team for France. So he's a, um, a very great player. So this is our like uh, big name, right? Uh, well, still not playing, but well, we keep him. Right. Uh, second is a French champion uh, Mathieu Cornet, which won the French championship this year, uh, 2016. So I mean the last one. Uh, he's rated 2600. Very talented player. Um, he's like in the 30s now. But very talented, very good uh, in in opening preparation and and good player in rapid. So he's like a real leader on the board. Uh, third comes uh, Murtas Kashgaleyev. Maybe you heard about of him? Yes. So he's a very famous uh, blogger um, on Facebook. Uh, he has a blog in Russian. Uh, he had one of uh, his most popular uh, blog was uh, shared over 2,000 times. So, I mean, it's, it's huge. I don't know if you can imagine. Over a million people read uh, one of his blog posts and he's very popular in, in, in the Russian uh, blog, blogosphere, chess blogosphere. Uh, he's a very good chess player as well. He was uh, uh, winning the Asian Olympic Games in rapid uh, chess like a few years ago and he was also Kazakh champion in Blitz Rapid and Classical. I don't remember the years though, but I mean, he's very strong player. Uh, number four comes Robert Fontaine. Maybe you know him as well. Uh, not sure. Okay, he was a very, very talented uh, youngster. Uh, he got 2,500 when he was still a teenager, I think. Uh, Grandmaster title pretty early as well. But he retired from professional chess and now he's like working. Uh, so he has. He's not playing professionally at all, but it's still a very talented player and he's always very motivated, you know, because he's not playing in the tournaments. So for him, the Pro Chess League is really, you know, a big event. Right. Do you know what he does for a living? Uh, uh, not really. Okay. Uh, to be honest, not really. Uh, we didn't talk about that. Uh, but I mean, I know he's not, he's, he's, the job is not connected with chess. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, just, just saying like to talk about Pro Chess League as well. It's very nice for those guys, uh, because they don't have time, you know, to, to like play tournaments because they have a daytime job. And it's nice for them to be able to compete, uh, with high competitive chess. And the Pro Chess League give the chance to those people as well to, to play, uh, official chess games. Cause I would, I, I like, I like to call that official chess games. I don't like say internet chess, you know? Yeah. Uh, because look at the level of play. And when I see the intensity of the guys talking, as I said, on the Facebook group, and we are even preparing the games. I mean, we are watching uh, the games of opponents and just making files, uh, to, to prepare the openings. So, I mean, it's, it's really, we, we are really looking at that like, like professional chess players. So, I mean, 
it, it really gives a chance to the guys that retired and don't have time to play such competitive chess to come over the board and show what they can still do. So this is our number four. Uh, number five is Fabian Libizewski, which is the trainer of the French Olympiad team, Grandmaster, rated 2550, and he's um, often a co-host on, of my shows on my YouTube channel. And he was playing in the movie uh, Le Tournoi, which is a movie about chess. So if you go to Wikipedia, he's referred as an actor as well. Huh. <laughs> this is the funny thing about him. Is this a documentary or um, like a fiction movie? It, it's a fiction movie. Okay. Uh, it was uh, it was even uh, played in the in the cinema in France. Wow. So I mean, it's 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 like in the theater, I believe you say in, in, in English. So he's he's twenty five hundred feet, a, but also able to uh, to do some acting. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I think you can find the the movie on uh, on Wikipedia and maybe like uh, I don't know if it was translated in English, but maybe if you like for the guy in the podcast to put a link. Uh, yeah, for sure. After if they're interested, because it's 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 not always we it's not often we have a a movie about chess fiction. Yeah, we have to support the chess arts. Can you say the name of the movie one more time? Le tournoi, which Le tournoi. means the tournament. Okay, nice. I'll definitely yeah. check it out and put a link to it. So that's five players over 2,500. And just l glancing at the roster, it looks like everyone is classified as a local. So do yeah. do these players really all live in the Cannes area or elsewhere in France? Or uh, We have almost all our players, except for Fabien, which is living not far away. Uh, but uh, I've been living in Cannes for a few years almost all the players. Uh, Vlad uh, Tkachev, which uh, is French now, he's obviously not, I mean, he's Russian, but he lived in in Cannes for a few years. Uh, Murtos Kashgaleyev was my trainer at the Cannes Chess Club, so he lived here for a few years. Uh, Robert Fontaine, which we've been talking about, was the um, director of the club for, for, for some time in Cannes. As well, uh, Mathieu was playing for Cannes for a long time, and he was a trainer at the chess club. So, yeah, we are all linked with the almost all linked with the the, the Cannes chess club, except for the people rated a bit lower, which has which are just living in the area. So Nice or Monaco. That that's amazing. You guys might be giving, I think, Reykjavik. I'm not sure who else would you would be competing with for the the strongest uh, chess population per capita. Oh, but maybe uh, maybe uh, the capital of Georgia. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Cannes was uh, is a city in France where we had chess in almost every single school in the 80s and 90s, and Cannes was uh, known as the I think I don't remember the exact title, but the the best chess club in France or something like that. So it's a it's this city is a chess place, really. You know. Wow. Um, and many we had the president we, we, we even had a world chess championship in Cannes uh, the Blitz world chess championship don't remember the year maybe 2002 or something like that don't want maybe 99 don't want to say any anything wrong but I was a little kid and I even saw Gary Kasparov playing uh, in my city wow so um, uh, and uh, I played uh, in Cannes as well uh, Youth World Chess Championship because uh, the city hold uh, the, the Youth uh, World Chess Championship once also in the late 90s yeah it looked, was that the tournament where you played uh, Maxime Vachir-Legrave I saw that you played him many years ago 
Uh, no, I played against Maxim a few times uh, in the French Championship. Okay. Uh, two loss, two draws, I believe. Wow, well, that'll work. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> when I, but that time, by the time I lost, I lost a very important game in the playoff for the French title. I was two points up. Oh wow! <laughs> it was it was 15 years ago. I still I I, I I still remember that. I still remember that. I went for the end game. You know, I was two points up. And I decided it was very good at tactics, and I decided to give up a pawn to go to an end game, and <laughs> the end game was not winning. I think uh, anyone listening can relate to that feeling, even if it wasn't against a future world champion contender. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, were so you a product of? You mentioned the school programs in Khan. Is that how you learned to play? Exactly. Okay. Uh, I had I had a teacher from the club coming to my school. And uh, he went to see my parents, and he said, "You should bring this kid to the chess school. I think he could learn a couple of things." <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's how he started. Yes, yes, that's how it started. <laughs> and how old were you? I was uh, seven, I believe, six and a half, seven. Okay. And have you lived anywhere else? Yeah, I lived. Uh, I lived in Moscow for ten years. Oh wow! Oh right, yeah. My online research got into that. I want to come back to that, but let's let's stick with France for a while. Um, so you grew up in Cannes, and now you are you working as a chess? I know we'll get to your YouTube channel as well, but are you working as a chess teacher there? Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm a chess coach, but I'm coaching only over the internet. Oh okay. Uh, so, but it's all, all totally linked with my YouTube channel, for instance. Right, right. Well, that's uh, that's part of the chess business model for teachers these days. So I like to get the perspective we've had chess explained on, as as you know, and uh, you have a yeah. unique perspective in that you're doing most of your streaming in French, correct? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm I don't have time for English content. Even if I love to talk English and to to have English content, and I love the English community. I know some guys might be listening now and say, Kevin, please make those crazy streams, the regulator streams <laughs> <laughs> in English, because we we play regulators music. So, uh, I mean, this is this is another story. The, the people that 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 watch my stream will understand, but I don't have time for that. Is this? The, uh, I haven't seen the stream, but is this the Warren G song, Regulators? Yeah. Oh, okay. Every time someone is following the channel, to make long story short, we play the regulator song. Uh, the regulator, like, regulators! <laughs> nice. And so when we're on the losing streak, I'm always begging people to, like, please, uh, just someone follow us that we can get this regulator vibe again. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is a catchy song. Uh, so I was reading in, in New and Chess recently, they had a graphic showing the um, the number of FIDE players rated between 1,200 and 2,000. They were just using it as sort of a proxy for the popularity of chess in a given country. And I noticed that France was right up there with Spain and Germany as amongst the most, the most popular places for club players. Uh, so what's the tournament culture like there? How often are there tournaments and uh, how tuned in is the general population? Um, I um, I do not play in tournaments to be totally honest uh, for quite a long time so I don't really have my own experience I'm just playing with the team lately I'm not playing too many tournaments uh, myself um, so very hard to answer your question I know I, I can I can say from my old experience like 10 years ago when I was before I left Russia uh, when I played a lot and well 
we we have a lot of tournaments uh, going on during um, school. Um, how to say that? School holidays. Okay. So when you have school yeah. holidays period, we have like tournaments uh, pretty much everywhere. I believe. I mean, in all the the location or a lot of players. So it means the French Riviera, which I said with Cannes is a is a leading place. Cannes is a lot of place. We have a lot of tournaments in Alsace as well in uh in paris but i don't really know nowadays if it grew you know i'm not very competent to to talk about that much okay well i feel like you would still have a better finger on the pulse of french chess than than our listeners but it sounds like at minimum uh chess is um staying popular there if not growing well, I don't know when you, you know, when, I don't know, maybe it's chess players are like that, but I always listen to people complaining that chess is not popular enough and we don't have enough people in the clubs. This is something I really hear from, uh, from the people, uh, I'm, I'm talking with that chess is getting less popular in France or like stagnating, you see? Uh-huh. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know, but I feel chess is, uh, Leaving a second use with the internet now because many people are playing on internet. Yeah, um, it's well suited for it. Yeah, so I do feel chess is becoming more popular in France. We even had Vachela Grave on a big TV program. It was last week, uh, a program seen by a few millions of people. So I mean, I I do feel chess is is getting more 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 popular uh, at least to the what you call in in USA the average Joe. Right, very good. Uh, so is that was that like a news based program? Like was it like yeah. a little feature? It was in the news. They were like making news about uh, let's meet Vashila Grav. You see. Nice. It was in. It was yeah. It was during the news. Like you might have I don't know the CNN maybe they have like. Right. Uh, news and it was like in 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 a comparable program okay and where did he come up in france where is he from and where does he live do you know uh i don't know where does he come from i believe he lives in paris okay. but i'm unsure i'm unsure okay. and so you mentioned so how do you end up living in russia for 10 years uh hmm, interesting story um i was playing chess though obviously when i was 17 and I went to play a chess tournament in Russia. Uh, was like a dream come true, isn't it? Going to play to Russia. Yes. Um, I don't know if when I, I well, you are a chess player as me, and I, I believe all the listeners are all chess players. And I, I think we all dreamed about playing once in Russia, in Moscow. Looks like the the the, the place to go to play once in your life. So I went there. I, I played by the time at um, the Central Chess Club where uh, they had the Federation, a very nice building, by the way, very beautiful. Uh, so I, I went to just play a tournament and I just I just really loved it. You know, I just love the country and I just love the people and I just love the chess. So I decided to, to stay there. Did you stay uh, by on, the- on that trip? Did you stay? No, I went okay. back home. Oh, okay. I went back home. Then I went back to Russia to play another tournament. And then by the time, well, I had some some friends there and I met some new people and I finally just stayed there. I was just 18 years old. So. Okay. I studied abroad in St. Petersburg. Um, I was a Russian major, although I barely remember it at this point. But yeah, it's a fascinating country. 
Have you been to Moscow? Uh, briefly, on that trip, I went for, you know, five days or something like that. So I got to see the city, but didn't get to do anything chess-related. Uh, oh, it's, uh, it's a shame, because uh, it's, it's really the country for chess, isn't it? Yeah, no, I played some in St. Petersburg, and it was amazing. I mean, just how popular it was there and how many strong players were around. Um, but yeah. but uh, well, I didn't, didn't get to play in Moscow. Yeah, it's just like you go to the chess club and if you are rated un- under 2,000, you just will feel you are the worst player at the club. It's very right, strange. exactly. Uh, and how did you make a living in Russia? I mean, you were there a long time, so I imagine you started as a student. But tell us about your time there. Uh, no, I played poker. Oh, really? I didn't even know. Yeah. I was also a, a professional poker player for a long time. Yeah, exactly. So that's so, how I made a living. So you played online? I played. Yeah. I try not to talk about poker too much on this podcast, just because uh, I feel like there's there's a lot of good poker podcasts, and there aren't that many good chess chess podcasts. But I do feel like we should briefly delve delve into your career playing online. So, what did you play? Um, I played. Uh, I, well, I started playing uh, seed and goes. Then I went to play the limit. Then the limit was over. Just going briefly and quickly through that. Through that. Then the limit went over. It started playing um, MTT. And then I went on specializing myself in Omaha 08. Okay. So for the uninitiated, that means he went from playing like little mini tournaments to uh, cash games, and then to bigger tournaments, and then back to to cash games. Um, exactly. Okay, and are you still playing these days? No, I don't like it anymore. You know, <laughs> it sounds I, familiar. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, mean, I should say something good for chess. Now is that uh, I played chess for eleven years, like from seven years old, let's say to eighteen. Then I was a bit tired with that, and well, I played poker, but I was still playing chess. Even I was blitzing on chess.com um, from my home from time to time. I never really quitted chess, um, so I played poker sometimes. But when I quitted poker, I quitted it for good, you know. Yeah, it's, it's not like I have the feeling I want to play it. Uh, though when I played chess, I uh, even when I stopped playing, uh, I was still playing. <laughs> right. And following the tournaments and all, so I mean, it's it's just a, a deeper game, I would say. Chess. Yeah, I agree. I, I like it better. And even at the peak, there was a time before I burnt out on poker, but even at that time, I felt like chess was a better game. It's just there weren't the same opportunities. But now, uh, I mean, chess is. I feel like chess has become a bit more viable, and poker has become less viable. Plus, like, you have to do what makes you happy. Yeah, and when you play chess you have a feeling or when you teach chess that you share something with people exactly something positive yeah um yeah you don't have when you play poker at some point you feel like you're doing some nonsense right yeah for sure yeah and uh, you know with the way the world's going in terms of uh computers doing more and more i don't think that chess obviously isn't uh necessarily um a direct skill for people to use, but I think that it teaches a, a method of thinking that can be useful for whatever people end up doing for jobs by the time today's kids are grown up. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, how is it with you, but I feel I'm using chess mostly in my life. Even, even I mean, even in situations where I mean, I'm not playing chess, obviously, but I'm still thinking it as a as a chess combination. Like step by step, if I do this, this is going to happen, then I'm going to do that, and then I will like end up like this. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, and just, you know, the the feedback you get from the game in terms of, okay, yeah, the more big picture feedback in terms of, okay, this isn't working, this is working, I need to do more of what's working and less of what's not working, uh, I think that that can be useful in whatever people end up uh pursuing yeah yeah i i don't I, i've been teaching chess in in schools as well as, as as i believe you are doing and i i feel the the kids they, they it helps them to have a, a thinking method yes uh, like so you have a problem and it gives you a method of how to solve it yes so uh what year did you quit poker and was that when you returned to france or, or? Uh, no, I quit poker. Oh, I cannot say exactly, but I believe in 2012 or something like that. Around, okay. me, uh, I'm not too. very good. Yeah, not very good with with years. <laughs> I don't always remember exactly, but something like that, let's say. And I went back to work in the chess field in Moscow. So I stayed in Russia, and I run the chess club. Okay. Instance. Uh, I was working yeah, in a, at, at a chess club, um, so I mean it was a, a, a nice job. I had very nice people coming in, so it was a, a beautiful chess club. Um, and then I worked, uh, I worked with the with the Moscow Chess Federation also for a while. Okay, and so, and I imagine your yeah. Russian got to be pretty good. I'm fluent. <laughs> Good for you. I was I was pretty conversant uh, by the time I finished college, but I always found Russian difficult to read. I don't know if you had that experience too. No. Uh, well, I didn't speak Russian for the first two years when where, where, when I lived there, and then I was uh, lucky to to meet a brilliant uh, girl or woman, I should say, my wife nowadays. Oh, nice. <laughs> And, and I think it was the turning point from making me a guy that barely understands uh, Russian to a guy that fluently speaks. The the best way to learn a language. I believe so. But I don't think my wife would be happy if I went to learn, I don't know, Spanish or <laughs> Brazilian like that. Yes, definitely not. <laughs> it's a good way, but you can use it yeah. only once. <laughs> right. I guess, uh, yeah, you, should, you shouldn't learn any new languages. <laughs> <laughs> Some with English, and right. I will not 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 say how I I, I learned to, to to speak good English. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> okay, so when did you come back to uh, to Khan? Uh, so it was uh, 2015. Yeah. Oh, recently. Two years ago. Okay. And that's when I started the 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 YouTube channel. Okay. Because uh, before I was working in Russia. So, I mean, I had my job and all, and then I went back to live in France, and I was jobless. <laughs> yes. And I had some times and um, some savings, so I was not, like, in a rush to find a job. And I always, I, I, I really enjoyed uh, to make uh, YouTube videos in English, uh, or Twitch, even was more on Twitch, because I love, I, I love live more over videos. Uh-huh. Um, and then I said, oh, I need to make, uh, I have time. I need to make a channel in French because at the end of the day, I'm French. And there is almost no content for my uh, French uh, fellows. So I said, okay, let's do that. And I was thinking, well, anyway, nobody's watching that really, you know, French chess. How many people would be interested? 100, 200, 300. I thought it's maximum. But still, I had time and I just wanted to have fun and talk in my uh, home um, home tongue and it got very popular quite quickly in fact 
So your your inclination was right that it was um not not enough content for the French consumers. Yeah, I mean, I came up, I started to make a uh, live blitz. Well, it was like working pretty well, like 400, 500 views per video. It, it looked as as much as I what I did in English, and it was very quick. And then I thought, you know, I love. Okay, I do love uh, the content that bring um, uh, King, uh, Daniel King, I think is his name. Yes. With the poor play chess. Um, I mean, he's, um, he's, he's covering, uh, for the guys that don't know, he's covering um, the, um, the tournament games. Uh, then we have also, uh, well, other people doing that uh, on the internet. And I thought everybody's doing that in English. There's some stuff in Spanish, but absolutely nobody does that in French. So maybe I should give it a try. And I was absolutely right. People just started just to to follow this content. Uh, and now I'm covering uh, almost all the um, all the rounds of the big tournaments. Like for the Tata Steel Chess, I think I did like seven or eight videos. So covering the best games. And it's always hitting the 2,000 views mark. Great. And are you uh, generating revenue from the actual videos or is it more just... Uh getting yourself exposure to, to find chess tunes yeah it's just marketing I, I'm not I'm not getting much money from the from the YouTube um, from the YouTube revenue it's like well it's nothing I don't know it's maybe like $50 a month or something like that uh, but we do have a Patreon page a uh, French Patreon which is called TP it's uh, equivalent uh, and uh, well, people are donating money, for instance. Uh, so it's, it helps the channel. So people really love the content; they want to keep it up. So they give money to that, and it's it's it makes me just fantastic marketing for chess lessons or, or chess related content. So I mean, it's it's uh it's 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 excellent for me, though. Uh, I mean, doing that in French always a shame that. Not everybody can understand what I say. I mean, this is what's good when you talk English. Like, you know, almost anyone could understand. But there are already many people on the market uh, in English, and I feel there is a really lack of content in French. So that's that's how I, I went on doing that. And well, as I said, it's working good. Yeah, so well, we, we keep it on. Yeah, I'm sure your audience is glad that you're doing it in French. I mean, I, you know... The there's as you say so much uh, amazing content in English that I think uh, it's a good idea to provide those who want to hear it in their native language the opportunity to do so, and I bet that it keeps your chest sharp too if you're reviewing all the current tournament games. Oh yeah, I I, uh, I went to play uh, with uh, with the team in classical chess last Sunday, and I feel I'm playing bad. But in fact, it's not the case. I'm very sharp compared to what I think I am because I'm watching, uh, I'm analyzing probably like 60, 70 top level games a year. And, you know, it's so many patterns, you know, in my head uh, now because I saw it always reminds me, oh, well, it looks, this position looks like a game and I analyzed. There was a line like that, you see? It's 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 it, yeah it's 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 I improve my chess with that as well. Yeah, and how deeply are you digging into the opening theory when you present your videos? Is it more uh, based on the plan, or are you actually getting into the the theory of um, each well, opening? 
it's uh, I would say uh, my video, for instance, I'm I'm digging much deeper than that what I watch in English, uh, comparing to the channel I I previously uh, mentioned. They are doing like 50, 20 minute video, 15 to 20 minute videos usually, and I'm hitting usually the 35 minute mark because I'm digging deeper and I'm explaining more uh, the lines and what's popular. And I always try to go like if I have a game, let's for instance say. Uh, Carlson against Koryakin, <laughs> just remember right. something. I'm trying to say, well, uh, like it's 2016, we have this game, but in 2015, like, I don't know, Nakamura plays against Koryakin, his exact same position, and Koryakin went with this play, then Nakamura played like that, they got to this position. I'm trying to say a bit what was the, 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 the thing about the positions they went in, uh, say the result, and then get back to the game and try to do the other, the same thing with the other player. So I would say, and Carlson played a, a game, another game, it was 2014, against like, blah, 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 I don't know, Grichuk. And, uh, in this particular game, this line happened. Nowadays, it's like not fashionable anymore. Uh, then, then go back to the game. So I'm really trying to explain what's happening in the opening because I feel it's the most Im- important, sorry, in the, in, in, in the modern chess. I feel opening preparation is very important. And as my friend Vlad Kachev always says, uh, it's very important to get your opponent on your field. You don't need to be better to have a better position. You need to have your opponent on your field, on your turf. Wow. So I, I feel nowadays it's, it's really the key moment. So I'm, I'm digging, really. Yeah, um, well, I think yeah. a lot depends on your level. Uh, I don't know what level most of your students are, but I feel like um, below 2,000 feet, I, it, they, there seems to be too much emphasis on opening, in my opinion, because they see it at the top level, but it's not what nor- normally determines the result of their games. Oh, with, with my students, I'm uh, almost not uh, talking about uh, openings if they are below 1,700 feet. Eh? Right. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just uh, almost ignoring that because they don't know how to promote a pawn sometimes. So, I mean, <laughs> you need to, I mean, you need to play the end game pretty well. And then only you can go to, to openings or mid game. But I mean, the openings, when we talk about lower rated players, it's, it's almost unimportant. Right. Yeah, I agree. So you're doing about 35 minute video for one game. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. That's a lot of detail. That that could be quite educational, I'm sure. Yeah, we are digging deep. Always digging deep. This is the style of the channel. Don't write in the comment that we are not we are digging too deep. No. It's never <laughs> never never enough. Nice. <laughs> Push back against the short attention spans that everyone is uh creating with uh their smartphones. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I understand. Uh, I mean, it's very, very long to, to prepare the video because you need to go in many lines. So sometimes I think about making some shorter uh, content as well because it's it's hard to dig deep. But I love to do it, so I, I don't I don't feel the time when I do that. Um, jumping around a little, but by the way, why did you decide to move back to France? Uh, well, uh, Russia is an uncertain place. Yes. <laughs> Uncertainty is something that would characterize Russia well. So, uh, at some point you want to build a family and all, and it's probably better to live in, 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 in Europe, I believe. Makes sense. And do you have kids now? Not, not, still not. Okay. Unfortunately. And how is, uh, how is your wife liking France? 
Um, I don't know. We should ask her. <laughs> <laughs> I feel she she loves Russia, and I know she likes French as France as well. But you know, it's always hard when you're not living in your country. Um, I mean, I understand. I mean, you're always missing your country. I believe somehow. Um. So, well, I mean, she likes it, but she's not like uh, absolutely like my people might think like you come from Russia and you absolutely love France or Europe. I mean, it's not it's not like that. I mean, just just I feel that people sometimes they they misunderstand a bit what Russia is. They think that it's a very poor country or people are very poor and 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 life is bad. It's not really the case. People are pretty happy over there as well. Uh, and it's a very nice place. People are very joyful and all. And so it's not like you're coming from a country where people are really very bad and you come to Europe and it's just very, I mean, amazing and great. It's just different, you see. So it's more stable here, of course, but it's not better. Yeah. Uh, you get what I mean. Yeah. And th things don't feel so stable anywhere these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's becoming different. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, in your time in Russia, did you get a sense for, I've, you know, one of the things I like to do on the podcast is try to get a little sense for um, how much, um, how chess is treated in different places. So, is there still uh, strong state support for chess in Russia? It's starting again. Okay. Um, I heard uh, rumors uh, that uh, they are going to bring now um, a chess program during on prime time on TV in Russia. Uh, Putin has been talking a lot about chess lately. He said in a couple interviews um, that, uh, I mean, he needs to make uh, chess something important in Russia again. And even mentioned um, that um, chess, uh, even, even mentioned, sorry, uh, about Koryakin Colson match. Okay. So he talked about Koryakin in a, during a press conference, uh, and he talked about him like a great man that defended like the, Russia, you know, well in the in the um, in the contest for the for the world chess title. So there is uh, for sure uh, a new fashion starting uh, for chess in Russia. There is also the program uh, chess in schools in Russia in Moscow, and more more specifically, that is having some success. Uh, and well, for I mean. Yeah, chess is, is stalling, it's stalling back in Russia. It was, uh, not too popular when I was there. Like, people, of course, they know about chess because, I mean, it's Soviet culture and all, but it was not like something, uh, very important for the youngsters, you see? It was not like something central, like chess was like, like in Europe, more or less, for the youngsters. It was only like, if you talk about people over 40, 50 years old, they will know how to play because they would remember Karpov, Kasparov match and all those things, but not the youngsters. But seems that, uh, for the last couple of years and more specifically for last year, uh, well, Putin is very kind with chess, let's say it like that. Okay. So do you and think you know how, uh, yeah, and you know how important he is in Russia? <laughs> exactly. And so do you get the sense that the top players are getting direct support or is it just more like it, you know, he's putting more into the ground level and it sort of works its way up to the the top players? Both. Both? For instance. Okay. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know that Karyakin was rumored to have quite a budget for his uh his support team in the match. Yeah, I I heard the same rumor. I I, I know other other top players got uh, good money just uh, so yeah, I mean chess is something as 
that that is starting uh, again to to be to be big in Russia, and I think it's good more widely for for the world chess community. Yeah, it wouldn't feel like chess if there were no top Russian players. Yeah, we we would need a Russian world chess champion maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like Magnus, but uh, but uh, so who do yeah, you? Uh, I like- I like Vinas as well, but I'm a, I'm a, I, I know very well Alexander Grichuk, so I would hope he would go for the title one day. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a fan favorite. I feel like, and also a poker player. <laughs> and he's a very nice guy. I know him personally, and he's a very very nice person. So I mean, it's it's not only on the camera. He's a nice guy. Uh, he's really a nice guy. So you got <laughs> you got to know him in Moscow, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a good friend of of, of Vlad, which I've talked about a couple of times already. And uh, so we 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 went to to some party together, and he's a very nice person. Um, I really hope he can get back on his feet and and start uh, playing good chess again because he was on the twenty eight hundred mark, and he went down quite a bit. So I I hope he can like get his things together and 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 play great chess again because he's. He, Let's not forget he was number two in the world not so long ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just so it's got to be so hard at that level. Everyone working so hard and everyone so talented. Yeah, I, I feel they have mental tiredness at some point. It's just so hard to keep such a good level for so long. I mean, so I, I feel this is something uh, very hard for everybody. Uh, you, you can see nobody can keep this num- this uh, number two spot, can they? Yeah, They're always being down. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. It's just a big shuffle, but but meanwhile the the gap is closing between number two and number one. I feel personally that Wesley So uh, had uh, had a great luck that he could not play for sometimes. I feel that going a bit away from chess, I mean at least playing, is giving you more life experience or more. I you get what I mean? Like you get a bit away from the playing ring i mean the the thing and maybe it gives you some extra energy when you come back yeah yeah gives you gives you more perspective and more time to um appreciate uh the challenge and the privilege of playing yeah exactly and sometimes it's it's a good thing it's like when a player in food in in soccer or, or or in tennis they got injured and then when they get back they come back they are stronger Somehow yes. it happens sometimes. It's a bit the same here, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know Wesley so at all, but I just have the feeling maybe this is the little thing he, he has over the others, is that he had to stop for sometimes. And then maybe it gives him this extra extra energy or extra something. Yeah, I, I read an interview with him recently. It was um, amazing to read him speaking about how he was not sure if he would continue playing chess a, a couple years ago because he felt like he wasn't getting the support he needed. And now here he is, he doesn't lose a game anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes you different, and whatever makes you different might make you stronger. So I, I feel, I, I really, I watched, uh, I mean, all the tournaments, obviously, uh, and I really feel he. he he could be the guy that beats Magnus for me. Yeah. Well, you're the you're the third consecutive guest to say that. Sam Shanklin, Ben Feingold, and and yourself now have all just been amazed by um by the run that he's on and the the quality of his chess. 
And the thing is that he is is like he's like Magnus. He never loses. I mean, no, Magnus loses sometimes. I mean, you feel he, Magnus would not lose if he would not want so much to win. Right. All the time. Yeah. But you feel Wesley has is is like a, a Geary Carlson mix. The solidity of Geary without the, the, the craziness sometimes of Magnus trying to win any, any single game. And so he's very solid, but he's not missing the opportunities in the other, um, other hand. So it's, it's like a perfect mix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to see him play a match against Magnus. It's a shame we have to wait another two years to even think about it. Yeah, but you know, the candidates to win the candidates, it's a lottery, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's by no means a sure thing. Yeah, I I don't know. I've been talking with friends. Uh, I mean, it's totally in the topic. I believe we've been talking about with friends about the the candidate formats lately, and it's it just feels a bit unfair that it's playing everything. It's playing on only one tournament every two years. So I mean, to become a world champion, it's 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 hard. It's hard, and and it involves a lot of luck for yes. the contender. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've, we've. Do you have a do you have a um, opinion on what the a better format would be for the candidates? Oh yeah, completely. Uh, well, not talking about what Greg would love, which right. means changing the the time control. Which <laughs> uh, I think I think Greg wrote a a, a wonderful b- blog post just t- talking about the thirty minute plus thirty seconds uh, time control. I believe it was what, 30 plus 10 or 30 plus 30, but I think it was 30 plus 30. I'm totally in for that. I mean, it should be quicker. Uh, I mean, this is something I'm, I'm 100% uh, uh, sure about. Uh, but if just talking about the format, I think we should go uh, closer to tennis to decide the, the contender, which means four or five tournaments awarding points in all of them. And then it would just decide a contender to contender to to go up against Magnus. I feel this is how it should work. Not not to play everything on one candidate tournament, but I mean they have the the, the FIDE Grand Prix. They have the um, the Grandes Tour, Tour, right? Yeah. I mean they could maybe find a way to make like a Super Grand Prix Grandes Tour, whatever they want to call it. Four or five tournaments. If they want classical, let let it be classical. Even if I'm against that, but let it be. And but then award points, and at the end, the guy with most points go to 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 play against Magnus. Of course, Magnus can also participate in those tournaments. Just he's not counting in the in the in the point section. I mean, this is looking a lot more fair to me. Yeah, I agree completely. I, it seems like a change is so hard to come by in the structure of the chess tournaments. So. I feel like a lot of people might be on board with that. There might be like a lot of the suggested changes. I feel like there's a lot of opposition, but I don't, if you don't mess with the time control too much, I think people would be on board with a Grand Prix format, but it just seems like FIDE itself wouldn't pull the trigger on something like that. Yeah, it's, well, you know, it's like, it's very hard to change things. Yes. I mean, in life, usually it's very hard when you have something going on, it's very hard to make it different. And, Chess players are very conservative people usually. So in a conservative world, uh, with conservative people, it's very hard to make changes. Yeah, <laughs> sad but true. Well, hopefully uh, hopefully over time, um, people like yourself and other advocates for chess can slowly um, help make the change happen. And I believe the players would love it as well because I think nobody loves to play a lottery. 
Yeah. I mean, people yeah. love it when it's fair, even if it's not at their advantage. Most of people love fair tournaments and they are competitors, so they want to show they are the best. And in order to show you are the best, you need a, a fair uh, environment. So I believe everybody would love that, but it's very hard to make it happen because you need to change all the rules. I believe they have contracts and every, all the, the paperwork, I believe there are some, 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 some things like that. So I remember when they changed the format, they needed to connect many people together. So it's probably very hard just to do it. Yeah, and I suspect that a lot of the players themselves don't want to get involved because they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them with FIDE, even if they, in theory, would like a different format. Yeah, yeah, of course, you don't want to take risks because anyway, you need to, I mean, like everybody, they need to eat and to pay the rent at the end of the month. So you don't want to mess with your job. Yeah, exactly. So you, you, you have to play within the rules. And anyway, I mean, well, the the... Also, I mean, the time when we had no real world champion with Kasparov, the FIDE title and all. I mean, sometimes the people, they, they think, well, maybe it's not the best, but at least we have something running. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they barely pulled off this last world championship, unfortunately, even though chess uh, on a broader level seems really healthy. Yeah, do, do, do you remember the period when we had uh, Shirov beating Kramnik? Uh, and then Kasparov refused to play him. Uh, I, I mean, I remember it vaguely, but uh, but yeah, it's um. I mean, the, it, it was awful for 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 chess this period when well, the, it was some sponsors issue. I don't know exactly the details, of course. Uh, but I mean, it was awful. Like you had someone winning a match, he should have go to play against Kasparov, and then Kasparov went on and played with the loser of the match for the title, and that's when Kramnik became world champion. Um, so I mean, it was it it was a period without strict rules, you see. And nowadays, at least, uh, we have um, some rules to have the candidates, so everybody knows how they qualify. Then the candidates the candidate uh, win the the candidates tournament. Then he plays against the world champion, and so on. So at least we have a, a system that is working. And probably people also they remember it could be worse, you see. Yeah, exactly. It definitely could. Things generally can always be worse. <laughs> um, so getting to a little more fun stuff, before we started recording, you mentioned you were a fan of uh, the American National Football League. How did uh, how'd that come about? Uh, well, uh, when I was uh, uh, a kid, I loved uh, to watch... Uh, oh, well, no, I think it's, it doesn't start like that. Let's be precise. I went to New York with my grandparents when I was a kid. And I fell in love with the city, and I think I fell in love with the country as a kid. Um, so when I went back home, I took, you know, the baseball, um, how to say, not the bat, the, um, the glove. I had the baseball glove, the baseball um, ball, uh, some uh, NBA shirts and some <laughs> NFL stuff as well, because I really just love that. And then I start watching those things on the TV when I had the chance at home. And that's how I um, I started watching uh, US sport. Though I never get used with baseball. I just don't understand why is it interesting to watch that. <laughs> I, I'm a fan, <laughs> but I understand. <laughs> Go on. I, I yeah I what's interesting in that I, I I just cannot get it yeah well I think a lot of Americans uh, maybe less so than previously feel that way about uh, football uh, soccer as we call it but 
Yeah, baseball, it's an acquired taste because it unfolds so slowly. But for people who like it, um, there's a lot of statistics involved. So I think it, it appeals to sort of a more cerebral sports fan. Um, but it's definitely like... In terms of, it's, I would say it's one of the least intuitive sports. I mean, who, you know, to, to imagine, okay, I'm going to throw it and I'm going to hit it and then you run to this place but not to this place. And there's so many obscure rules that I can understand that it's not very accessible for people who don't grow up with it. Yeah, I watched I watched match because I was interested. I have the gloves still at my home. I mean, proudly, it's, uh-huh. it's for 20 years already. But I, I, I cannot get it. But I, I really love uh, what you call football, uh, the NFL. Uh, unfortunately, well, as I, we said before recording, I don't have much time to watch now. Uh, I remember I love the quarterback named Vic, which was running a lot with the ball. Yes, Michael Vick, yeah. Oh, I loved him. He was running a lot with the ball. It was funny. It was like you have a running back but he's not a running back he's a quarterback so it's, I like the fact he was running <laughs> but yeah I enjoyed uh, so I, un- I I watched it a lot as for me NFL it's like chess with muscles yeah see? okay I mean the the thing about the NFL though is it's a very complicated the NFL is a very rich strategically from the coach's perspective but the players aren't necessarily executing these grand plans the way chess players are with the with the exception of the quarterbacks yeah, but I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I love the quarterback play, for instance. Yeah. I mean, I love when they show the actions and see, well, the quarterback look this way, the game plan not working, then another option, you have to decide quickly, you have someone running at you. I mean, I really love it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's where I loved Vic, because he had this... He had this other option to run with the ball, and I felt this is so crazy. He's looking at pass, no options. Then, oh, what I do? I go, I run. <laughs> this right. is so funny. <laughs> See, it's totally not. It's you know, it's out of the game plan. It's like in the chess game, you have the strategies not working out, and then bang, I just give up <laughs> a rook for for some crazy attack. You know, <laughs> right? The, the swindle, yeah, the, the Michael Vick swindle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, this is, this is, uh, so yeah, I love that. And every year I used to wake up at 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. Uh, at home and watch the Super Bowl. So usually this is the night where I don't sleep. So it, I think it's, uh, it's next, next, uh, oh, next Sunday. I don't know if, uh, the, the podcast will be on. Uh, it will, it will have already happened. So if you want to reveal what the result is going to be. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Yeah, we're, we're recording Thursday and this will be released Tuesday. So. Um, yeah, so I mean, two days ago, the final, the Super Bowl was played. And right. So you're gonna watch this one? <laughs> I will watch this one. I, okay. I watch it every year. So I, nice. I watch the first half at least, so um, I can uh, because it's it's it stops very very late. But every year I watch the first half. I just don't love the the half during the NFL. It's too long. Yeah. This concert and all. I don't. I mean. I, I, I feel you guys love it. I mean, this would be uh, Lady Gaga this year. Yeah, uh, well, I think that I, I'm not as big a football fan as I used to be, but uh, I think that the true football fans could take it or leave it. But it, it doesn't. It, it, the Super Bowl is such a phenomenon here. It, um, it draws in people who normally aren't football fans, and I think that the the halftime show uh, appeals more to people who aren't football fans. Um, at, oh, yeah, le- at least it often does. I don't like it's like if I would watch the Champions League, you know, and right. instead of a ten minutes uh, usual break, I would get a concert of of, of Justin Bieber. Yeah, I mean, come on, I'm here to watch football. I mean, soccer, for instance, Champions League. Uh, I'm not here to watch a concert. 
Um, and this is something that's frustrating me every year, every single year when I watch the, the Super Bowl, I'm frustrated. At some point, I need to, to watch this concert. And every year I'm thinking, what the hell? Bring me the player on the field. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you need to record the game and just watch it when you wake up. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's not, you know, it's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. You, you you need to 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 feel the to feel the some the, the thing happening live you know it's it's here you know it's happening yeah now no it's true uh, so yeah, what what's keeping you busy what's keeping you busy you mentioned you don't really have much time to watch is it is it all chess stuff keeping you busy or are there other things as well uh, no I mostly do chess record videos and um, I mean have a walk and uh, I mean enjoy the city and. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not really having any hobby nowadays except chess, which is my work and my hobby. Right. And watch sport. Oh, and watch rugby on the weekend. But this is something U.S. people don't 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 look. Yeah, the, some people play here, but yeah, it's not not a very popular spectator sport. No, it's very popular in France. And this Saturday, so we have the Super Bowl, and we are playing in the English, and you know the French and the English, you know. It's, oh wow. <laughs> It's a, it's a good old story, so it's a match. Where all, I, I, I believe that English and French people are waiting for that every year, you know, to see who is the best. Right. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I watch sports. Uh, I play chess and uh, I enjoy life, but I don't have other hobbies nowadays. Okay. And uh, I think this might be my last question, but so do you have, do you choose not to teach uh, in person? Do you choose not to teach at chess clubs or just there haven't been opportunities or you're too busy or why is it that you decide to focus on online stuff? Uh, just because, uh, I mean, I have a lot of people that ask me for, for lesson online and I'm so busy with that already. Um, that I just don't have time to focus on other things. Um, and, uh, well, it's, it's the only reason. I, I At the start, when I started teaching online, I thought I would give also offline chess lessons and all. But the thing is that I have so many people writing me for lessons and for chess uh, courses uh, that I just don't have time to, to do other things now, professionally, I mean. Uh, right. That so... Yeah. Well, just, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that your students are keeping you busy. Uh, what's your like? How if a new student approaches you, how do you design um, uh, teaching material for them? Okay, um, always the same. First of all, checking up if they know all the theoretical, uh, what I call basic end games, mm -hmm. which means well, uh, from the bone squares, what. Right. Uh, Queen square. To, yeah. yeah uh, to let's say okay, uh, end game with every single piece in the pawn. So it means queens plus a pawn, knight plus a pawn, um, bishop. I mean, knight plus, uh, plus a pawn against the knight. Right. Rook plus a pawn against the rook. I mean, all those uh, end games to see if uh, they they know them. Because if they don't know them, they just as as for me. They cannot truly understand uh, chess too deeply. I believe this is the, the the basics, the fundamentals. You need to know how to finish off the game, you know. Uh, so I love to go with that, and then uh, going with some um, mid-game strategy. 
And then if the guys are very good, then we go more deeply into pond structures, uh, which is, I believe, when you get to a level around 2000 is very important to understand every single pond structure. Um, and then if the guy need, uh, if the student need, for instance, we could go with some uh, um, opening advice. But usually I give lines that are easy to play and not too hard to learn. So I'm always trying to find a way to play something that is correct, you, that you can't uh, just go on and uh, refutate. So, I mean, just normal lines. But on the other side, that is pretty easy to, to play and give some um, playable position. Okay. That's why I, I choose for myself to... I was an E4 player, and as there is too much theory involved for myself, I'm just playing D4, the Trompovsky, and, uh, and the London system. And uh, against E4 now, I'm and um, with black against D4, I'm just giving going with some old system like the old Indian, or I could go with some Slav, which I know from from childhood, but not heavy theoretical. If I can go with easy lines, and I'm still trying to build a, ter- uh, a repertoire for myself against E4. Um, I, I I might go with a. Uh, with uh, some um, Sicilian, maybe some some days, uh, not too theoretical. Maybe the Kalashnikov, because okay. a, a good friend of of mine wrote a book about that. So I mean, I will I will maybe try one day uh, to to play that uh, opening. But this is my only hole for myself and for my student. I'm trying to go the same way. I watch what they play, and um, I'm trying to find for them. I'm, again, when they are quite strong, some lines that are correct, but not too complicated. Um, okay. Huh. Sounds like a, a pretty well thought out uh, curriculum. Yeah, I don't know if I was very structured because it was in English. <laughs> Sorry about that. Huh. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. So from the end game to the mid game, pawn structures and opening. Oh. Let's say it like that. But uh, really, Ben, I believe that pawn structures, uh, and it's not me, it's my friend Vlad that told it to me. He said many people, they cannot play good chess because they don't understand the changes of the plan when the pawn structure is changing. Spoken like a true Russian grandmaster, right? <laughs> Yeah, so he's, he told me many times, and, and I use it myself, he said, many times, just change a little bit the pawn structure, and your opponent doesn't know how to play chess anymore. And something something true for the guys that, that play chess and listen to your podcast, uh, even if they are not, not too strong, let's imagine a Karakan pawn structure, and let's say the C pawn takes on D5, right? Right. So you go in the Carlsbad pawn structure. And now with black, you need to make the minority attack and white needs to go to attack your king. Well, let's make it simple. Uh, but the thing is that if your opponent doesn't play d4, d5, probably he never studied the Carlsbad pawn structure. Right. And probably doesn't know the dance. So probably with just taking on d5 with the pawn, you just won the game. <laughs> uh, if only chess were so easy. <laughs> Yeah, that's what Vlad told me, took uh, a comparable example showing me something on the board. And that's why uh, I feel it's important uh, when I go with with my stronger students to go through pawn structures, exactly because of that. Because you need to be ready to pay pawn structures you don't know. Right. Okay, well, Kevin, um, I really appreciate you doing this. I I enjoyed talking to you. I feel like I got a lot of perspective on things that uh, I'm not that well versed in in terms of uh, Russian and French chess. Not to mention French YouTube. Um, so, 
If people want to reach you, what's the best way to do that, Kevin? Uh, just write me an email. I, I might give you uh, uh, my email address, and you could just uh, just uh, link just, to just write it, uh, link to it. Yeah. Sure, will do. Yeah. Um, and people, those of our listeners who speak French, can check out his YouTube channel. And you also have some videos up uh, in English. Yep, some regulator stuffs. <laughs> nice. Glad to hear it. Okay. Well, Kevin, thanks again for coming on. Uh, good luck in the rest of the Pro Chess League. Thank you. We are going to win it, Ben. All right. You so heard watch, it. Watch, watch for the can blockbusters, Ben. You heard it here first. Are. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.